Thank you, Sarah. That was beautiful. Really, really beautiful, really, really appropriate as well for our series and kind of a concluding message. I think it's going to flow really well. Uh, any children want to go with uh, Miss Linda? You can do that now. If you are... Yep, you can head out with Linda. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we take some time to walk through the word that you have given us, the special revelation through your Bible, I pray now, Lord, that the words that are spoken, the words that are read, Lord, would move from our heads to our hearts to whatever you need to do, Lord, we pray that you would have your way in this time. We thank you for being present with us and we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So late last year and kind of early and uh, throughout most of this year, uh, there was a movement that began to take root that many of us will know as the Me Too movement. It took over social media, uh, the pound or hashtag Me Too. Uh, it took over our news channels and all kinds of things, right? And the essence of the Me Too movement was that for too long, women have experienced abuse, have been marginalized, trivialized, overlooked for opportunities, whether it be Hollywood or athletics or the workplace or everywhere else, without any real sensitivity to hearing their story or to working to change the experiences that they experienced. And then women began to share their stories, and we learned of some really horrific things and again, across all spectrums of our society, even into our churches, women have experienced some horrific things just because of their gender. They shared, and as they shared, and as they spoke up, other women began to speak up and share of their stories, and it began to peel back a little bit of what women have experienced in our culture, in our society, and for centuries, really. And sadly, no one, at least across the board, had really listened to their stories. But once the floodgates began to open and reports started to surface, some women gained some confidence, not only that their voices would be heard, but maybe now it could be different. Maybe something could change. The Me Too movement was very much a part of my journey in coming up with the Because of Her series. Lutheran pastor Emily Scott noticed 
that the Bible also has a Me Too problem. She wrote an article in the New York Times, The Bible's Me Too Problem. And in it, she highlights how the pages of Scripture, yes, they are filled with stories of women, but so often those stories go largely untold. Think of the stories in our scripture, and some of them are really horrific. There's stories of abuse and stories of rape and marginalization and all kinds of things going on inside of our Bible, and it's difficult to talk about them. In fact, sometimes we read the stories and we don't even know why they're in there. But it takes some time and some opportunity to reflect The fact that we haven't talked about them has left a void in our churches over centuries for women to know that they are valued, to know that they are understood, to know that God cares, to know that God loves them equally. She would highlight a couple of stories, say, for instance, the story of Dinah. Dina, some people pronounce it, right? In the Old Testament, she was a daughter of Leah, Jacob and Leah. And it says in one verse, only one verse, that a man noticed her, took her, and forcibly slept with her. One verse is devoted to a horrific incident where we know nothing about Dina or Dinah, how she responded. We know nothing about how she felt. We know nothing about her experience. The story would go on and talk about the response of her brothers and an ensuing conflict between nations. But the story of Dinah gets one verse. We could talk about the story of abandonment. Think of Michal, who was one of, or David's first wives. Michal loved David. And even helped him survive a plot to kill him from her father Saul. But David would leave her, abandon her, leave her on her own. And largely, we don't know exactly what happened to her other than she was eventually married off to somebody else. And then David would come back into the story and forcibly take her back for his own. Creating all kinds of issues, right? But we don't know hardly anything about Michal. We don't know her story, what she felt, what she experienced. How many times have you heard the story of David and Bathsheba? And how many times in telling that story with David and Bathsheba are we directed to David's experiences? And how David responded in the story? Do we hear about how Bathsheba felt in being violated? in being pulled away from her husband? Do we hear about the fact that David ultimately led to the death of her husband? What was Bathsheba feeling and going through? All we read in Scripture is that she lost a child and eventually gave birth to Solomon, and the story goes on, and it's all about David. Pastor Emily Scott would say that this is the Bible's Me Too problem. 
I could go on and on and on with those kinds of stories from father-daughter relationships that go unexplored to polygamy and the effects that it has upon women. And certainly we get some glimpses of that through maybe Sarah and Rachel and Hannah that we've talked about, right? We get some glimpses into the effects, but, but very little do we spend time focusing on all of those things. As a church, we, the Free Methodist Church in particular, stand in solidarity really with this Me Too movement. We can't shrink back, we can't lower our heads, and we can't pretend that it's all going to go away because women all over this country and even in other parts of the world are crying out because of the actual abuse, mistreatment, trivialization that they have experienced in their lives. We can't stand for it. As a church, we cannot stand for it. Especially as a church that values men and women as equal in Christ. We have an opportunity to uphold the dignity of women and champion their rights and their safety. It's really disgusting and evil how men have perverted and abused women largely because of the authority that has been given to them or by their culture over the years. It needs to stop. And we, as a church, must help to change the realities that are all around us. This series has largely been a part of that journey. It's a way of highlighting and elevating and telling just some of the stories of the women and help all of us as men and women to better understand their role, their worth, their value, and their place in the kingdom of God. To be sure, there are more than just negative stories, right? There's stories of honor and quick thinking and respect. We could think of somebody like Abigail in the Old Testament who became a wife of David's, but it was her quick thinking that not only saved her husband... His name was Nabal, and his name actually means foolish. To save her foolish husband, but it also saved David from taking action that he would later regret. Abigail was a woman of honor and nobility, and David recognized that. But we don't talk much about Abigail. There's also other prominent roles for women. We could speak of the woman named Huldah. Huldah was a prophet. You can read about her in 1 Kings. King Josiah was the new king. King Josiah was one of the few kings that actually loved the Lord and wanted to do what was right for his kingdom. And he uncovered the book of the law. And as he uncovered the book of the law, he read it. And he had it read to him. And it was so, it created such conflict in his soul that he knew he had to change something. So, Huldah was consulted. King Josiah sent his high priest, the name of Hilkiah, and said, I want you to go consult one of the prophets and I want to know what's going to happen because he was afraid that everything that was written down was going to happen to him. Now, the interesting thing is that Huldah was a contemporary of Jeremiah. Huldah and Jeremiah lived at the same time. So Hilkiah could have gone and talked to Jeremiah, but he didn't. He went and talked to the prophetess, Huldah who then shared the story that Josiah would not experience the things that were written down there, that Josiah, because of his reforms and his efforts to be a good king, was ultimately going to be spared, but all those things would happen after he was gone. 
So prominent roles. There's love stories. We didn't even touch on the Song of Songs, right? The ultimate love story. From the Old Testament alone, we only scratched the surface in this series. Because we could talk at length about Sarah. We could talk about Hagar. We could talk about Rebecca and Rachel and Leah and their servants and the impact on them. We could talk about Gomer. We could on and on and on. There are stories of women throughout the Old and New Testaments. In the New Testament, we could spend weeks just walking through the Gospels and looking at the prominent role women played with Jesus throughout the Gospels. We could look at Romans chapter 16 and read all the names of the women that Paul chose to highlight in his greetings from his letter to the Romans. Names like Junia and Trephina and Trephosa, Priscilla, Mary Magdalene, Johanna, Mary, Martha, etc., etc. We could go on and on. We could offer key insights into how Jesus interacted with them, elevated them, gave them a prominent role in his ministry. Even in a patriarchal and a male-dominated society, he elevated all of these women. Some of them were single, some of them were married, some of them were widowed. Jesus believed in the value of women. Some of them were successful in business. They became the source of Jesus' ministry. They supplied for his resources. Women were influential in building the early church. So what are we seeing in all of these stories? Some that we've talked about, some that we haven't talked about that I've just glossed over here. There are stories of love gone bad. There are good love stories in this Bible that we have to learn from. There are stories of abuse. There are stories of rape. There are stories of women leading and having influence over national affairs, prophesying. There are stories of single women. There are stories of those who have lost their husbands. And there are stories of women who have to fend for themselves. And on and on and on. The stories are there. We just don't tell them enough. We don't talk about them enough. Clearly we see. And women, I think you know, it is difficult sometimes to see yourself in the pages of Scripture. There's so many things that stack against that, including just the silence of so many churches in talking about these stories. But the reality is that the stories of the women are there. They're not just footnotes to the stories of the men either. They are prominent, prominent stories of how God uses women in his redemption story for humanity. Women are vital and integral parts of his plan. Now I know in our society, our culture, and unpacking the culture that the Bible was written in, we're going to continue to struggle with sort of this male-dominated lens this patriarchal lens on Scripture. It's difficult to dig a little bit deeper and to understand the stories of women. And sadly, that was an influence of the Roman culture. The early church didn't struggle so much with that, although they lived in that patriarchal society. The early church was beginning to make those changes because of what Jesus stood for, because of what the early apostles taught There was change that was happening within the early church, but then Rome adopted Christianity, and Rome had a very patriarchal system. 
And so the influences of male domination began to overlay onto the enthusiasm of the early church. And then over the centuries, that began to be the narrative by which we understand Christianity. But that's not the way Jesus taught. And that's not the way the Bible teaches us. And we have to kind of get underneath of that. Let me just give you one example of how that influence happened over the years. As the Bible was being translated into many different languages, there was a um, Bible translator. His name was Egidius, and he was from Rome. And he was translating Romans chapter 16. And it says that because of his own belief that women just simply couldn't lead the church or be apostles, he took the name of Junia, and he just simply added an S. And it became Junius. There was no... Greek text or Latin text or any biblical scholarship that suggested that it should be a male. But he just said, I don't believe that this can be true. And he added an S. And for centuries, that became the narrative that Junia was actually a male Junius. Now, later scholarship at the time of the Reformation, later scholarship and much scholarship since has gone back to the early text, the Greek text, the Latin text, other things, and found out and said, no, for sure, pretty, we're 99.9% sure that Junius was really Junia. And she was one of the first apostles, and she was recognized by Paul as being influential in the building of the early church. But that's the kind of struggle that the Bible has faced, that we have faced as a culture, that we have faced as a church, is that too many people are afraid to recognize the gifts and the value of women. Even commentaries over the years have struggled. Some of you might recall if you go back to the Christmas narrative, how many have heard the story of John the Baptist? And, and the narrative around John the Baptist is that for 400 years, Israel hadn't heard from a prophet. Anybody ever heard that narrative before? For 400 years since the Old Testament to the time of John the Baptist, no one had ever... But you know what would happen, was happening when John the Baptist was little bitty infant? Jesus was brought to the temple. Jesus was brought to the temple, and who greeted him there? Anna. Anna recognized, the prophetess Anna recognized that Jesus, as a little baby, was the Messiah. And it says she went out and prophesied to anybody who would listen that the Messiah had come. And too many times our commentaries and our preachers go right from Simeon to John the Baptist. Simeon also greeted Jesus, right? And they gloss right over Anna and they get right to John the Baptist. That's the challenge that we face in our churches. You know, I think if I were to preach this series again, I would approach it slightly differently. I would probably use the narrative of Scripture and the Uh, The structure that Christina LaSalle Peterson, whom you heard if you were here on June, July 29th, she preached for us. But she writes this book, Liberating Tradition, and in it, she categorizes many different ways that God used, worked with, talked to women throughout Scripture. And I found it to be a very helpful way of thinking through uh, the lens of how God works with women in Scripture. For instance... She talks about leaders. There's this category of leaders. And we looked at a couple of them, right? We looked at Deborah and Esther. But there's so many other leaders throughout the pages of Scripture. They weren't leaders for any other reason than God chose them to lead. 
Deborah and Esther and Lydia and the house churches that popped up in the New Testament. They were led in many cases by women. And all throughout the pages of Scripture, we find the category of leaders. There were also another category of women who conversed with God. Think of Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Hannah and Mary. There's this big category of showing that God talks to women and men just the same, right? There are prophets and prophetesses, right? We talked, we preached on Miriam, so you can go back and read that one. There's Deborah, there's Huldah, there's Anna, there's many different prophetesses throughout the scriptures. There's a category of women who sacrificed for men. Think of Zipporah, we talked about her. Think of Sarah and Rebecca. Their sacrifice was because their husbands thought... For their own survival, they'd hand them over to these kings. Think about the sacrifice of what Sarah and Rebekah had to endure because Abraham and Isaac feared for their own lives. We don't talk much about that. For sure, the pages of Scripture are filled with stories of female victims. We mentioned one already, Dinah. We mentioned a couple. Hagar could be considered... A victim for sure. There's an obscure story in Judges chapter 11 of this military hero. His name is Jephthah and he's coming back and he's so filled with excitement about his military victory that he says, uh, he makes a vow to God and he says, whatever crosses the threshold of my house first when I get home, I will sacrifice that to you, Lord. Sounds noble, doesn't it? Until his daughter runs over the threshold as the first one to greet him when he comes home. And you know the sad thing? He follows through on his oath. He didn't have to. Jesus would, in the New Testament, kind of later, denounce when you make a bad oath, you don't have to keep that oath. But Jephthah, he did. That's a story in Judges 11. I won't even get into the awful story in Judges 19 of a Levite and his concubine. That's an awful story. You can go read it. It's there. But there are many, many victims throughout the pages of Scripture and we don't really know their stories in detail. For sure, there are negative examples of women, just like there are negative examples of men throughout the Scriptures. We could think of Jezebel and Delilah and some would say even like Eve's disobedience, you could focus there, conniving Rebecca, Sarah's abuse of Hagar, Job's wife telling him to curse God and die. There are negative examples of women throughout the pages of Scripture. There are a category of women who foreshadow God's own redemption story. Jochebed, Moses' mother, and Miriam, we talked about them. Ruth, and Zipporah, and Michal, and Deborah, and Esther. God showing through women what ultimately his plan was for humanity to restore and recover. Women were the first apostles. There's a category of apostleship for women. There's single women, teenagers. We think of Mary before the angel ever came to her. She was a young girl, single. We think of those who had become widowed. We think of Ruth and Naomi and Anna. And there are stories that we don't even know fully, like who were Mary and Martha and Mary Magdalene and some of these other 
single women throughout the New Testament pages. And of course, there is the category of mothers. We touched on that just a little bit last week, particularly the role of barren mothers, including the Virgin Mary. But motherhood is just one way, and it's certainly and definitively not the only way that God worked through women throughout the pages of Scripture. And interestingly enough, even though a picture of motherhood we get, they're not hallmark moms. They're not people that we necessarily want to hold up and say, follow them. Just think of what Rachel and Leah and Rebecca and others went through. They're not necessarily hallmark moms, but they are certainly our moms, right? But here's where I want to turn your attention a little bit. There's a story in Luke, in the New Testament, Luke chapter 11, if you want to turn there, or you can just hear me read. It's just two verses. Luke chapter 11, and it starts with verse 27. Jesus is teaching to a whole bunch of people. And his mother and his brothers are trying to get to him. His mother and brothers are are trying to, like, you know, get his attention. And then there's these people that cry out in the crowd. It says, as he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mother, the womb from which you came and the breasts that nursed you. Sounds noble, right? Immediately we think of Mary and that wonderful story of how God came and ministered to her and she became the mother of Jesus. And, and that verse alone would say, let's, let's celebrate Mary. But Jesus, Jesus in his own words, replies this. But even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. It's really not putting Mary down, is it? It's not saying that Mary's not blessed, but even more blessed. It's a transition that Jesus wants everybody to make. And that is... It's not about being a woman. It's not about being a man. It's about discipleship. It's about becoming like me, living like me. And everybody has that opportunity. That's who is blessed. Certainly, if the only blessing were to be received from the mother of Jesus, then none of us have any hope, do we? But everyone, in the sound of his voice that day, everyone who ever decides to follow what's in here, that, he says, is who is blessed. He's not devaluing his own mother. Christina LaSalle Peterson would put it this way in her book. She says, it speaks of a different valuation system. Rather than being valued for the children they bear, in Mary's case, the Messiah, women will be valued on the same basis as men. On account of their discipleship, they're doing the work of God. What does this teach us? If we really dig down into that, Jesus doesn't negate or devalue gender. He simply doesn't elevate it to a status that in and of itself takes priority over discipleship. And if we all have the opportunity to be disciples, then we all have the opportunity to serve and experience the blessings that come with learning, serving, and being used by God. It boils down to discipleship. Women, men, your stories may not bleed off the pages of Scripture with exact detail. 
But there are many, many stories in there that you and I can relate to. I know, men, it's a lot easier sometimes for you to relate to Scripture because even Jesus was pictured and portrayed as a man. I get that. But women, you are needed. You are wanted. You are able. You are gifted. And I know you are willing to serve. You can learn and grow and be used in the same way that men can. The Bible is your story too. Jesus himself did something radical when he walked the earth by treating women as equal and valuable. He created us, male and female, for sure, unique and complementary in physical ways, but mutually capable of stewarding the earth he created together. But what's the ultimate purpose in all of it? We are all to become disciples of Jesus Christ. God will use anyone who is fully in pursuit of that purpose and of that goal. He's done it throughout the pages of history, and he will continue to do it. But it really starts with our own view of God. It moves us, once we have that in place, it moves us into a relationship, into discipleship. We want to become more like Christ, the manifestation of God. And then it involves the reworking of our inner soul and our minds to change the way that we think and the way that we act. Maybe you've never thought of yourself as being included in the story of the Bible. And I hope that this series, maybe in some small way, has changed your mind on that. Anyone can be used by God. He has used everyone in the past for sure. And he will continue to use both men and women in the future. He will use disciples, devoted followers of Jesus Christ who turn their lives around and serve and follow him. Maybe that's where you find yourself today, in need of a turning. We call it repentance. A letting go of the former way of thinking and the former way of living and doing a new thing, right? Leaving the old behind and becoming something new. Maybe that is the need of your heart today. We want to give God that opportunity to shape us and mold us and use us. If that's your question, how do I become more of a disciple of Jesus Christ? We have resources and people that are available to help you do just that. Maybe you don't even know where to start. I would encourage you to fill out a prayer card, a card that's in the back of your seat, and just jot down, I don't know where to start. That will be a clue to me. I will see that and I will reach out to you and we will begin a journey together. We'll figure out what steps, where you're at and 